today. The Below Average Joe's MMA Show present verbal sparring. We got six questions from around the MMA globe. From pillar to post, me and Dom have scoured Twitter, Instagram, YouTube comments, Reddit, anywhere and everywhere we can find questions. We looked, we got six, and they are some doozies, including but not limited to the Contender Series, Uh Dana White and Joe Rogan potentially leaving together, Uh and pick your poison. You only get one. Between three massive fights. All this and more, and it all starts right now. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Thank you for joining us. It's episode 241. Well, this doesn't count the episodes oh, yeah, yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Force habit, people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're back with another verbal sparring where me and yes. Dom go head to head, we go toe to toe. Or sometimes we team up like the Hardy Boys yes. v. circa 1990s, early 2000s. Um, well, I guess even up till today, they're still mm. going at it. So. True. Um, we're taking on six questions here, Dom. Yeah. Now, before we get into today's questions, I want to let everybody know what's going on with next week's preview episode. So yeah, give them you the guys, You guys will be seeing this on Thursday. Obviously, no MMA this weekend. Not even Bellator, PFL, nothing. No, yeah. no one. It's a really quiet weekend for MMA. Yeah. So obviously this is taking the place of our normal preview. So the next week's preview for Grasso versus Arayujo, instead of doing like a normal episode like this, we're actually going to be hosting a Twitter space mm-hmm. on our Below Average Joe's Twitter, which you can follow at the Bajma, the B-A-J-M-M-A. Yes. We will be planning to do it on Thursday, right, mm-hmm. Dom? When we, yeah. A, so we plan to do it on Thursday, like when the normal episode releases. The reason why this is happening is because my job, my company, they are sending me on an extravagant business trip to Kearney, Nebraska. <laughs> I love so it. So <laughs> I am going there uh, for this. It's a thing called a Kaizen. It's like an um, internal... Uh, trying to fix all these internal issues with the Carney yeah. plant. Um, they're going to be pretty long days. So like, and with flying and stuff, I didn't want to have to tote around my recording equipment. And I didn't, uh, even though our episodes may be in similar length to what the space will be. There's a lot that me and Dom talk about yeah. before and after recording. So just to try to keep things efficient, but still give you guys content. Yeah, Twitter space it is. We'll be doing a full preview there. Might be slightly abbreviated, but we're still going to hit all the heavy hitters, the headlines, mm-hmm. the big fights, all of that. Uh, we're going to, once we know for sure the time. We'll tweet it out. We'll yeah. tweet it out. We'll actually have it scheduled. Yeah. yeah. So that way you guys can see that. Um, so make sure you follow us there. Yes. We'll kind of make that all official, but that will be happening on next Thursday. So a week from today. And then after that, Recap will be back to normal and so on and so forth. And then, right. Dominic, uh-huh. can we say for sure that if someone cannot make it to the time that we have proposed, are we able to uh, post that um, on our social media after, or non social media, excuse me, on 
Spotify or audio platforms? I know that we can have it recorded. I don't know if I can pull it for Spotify, but mm. we can like retweet it. We can post it on Instagram. If mm. we can put it on audio platforms, we will, but we'll have some sort of recording somewhere. Okay. Just know that. Yeah. So awesome. So be on the lookout for that. And with that, Dom, I think we just get right into question one. What do you think? Yeah, please do. We just skip into pleasantries. I yes. love you. You love me. We're all a family, you know? Right. That's a little homage to my man Barney. There's a new uh, documentary series. Did you hear? Have you seen the trailer for that? So we're not getting right into it. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I have I not seen not. the new documentary trailer. No, so there was a trailer for this docu-series on Peacock Okay. about like the making of Barney and I guess uh. like a lot of the shit that went on behind the scenes, the death threats, the drugs and all this stuff. Oh boy. Sounds pretty crazy. I haven't watched it yet. But uh, I, I think the show. I think they're calling it "I Love You, You Hate Me." I think is the name what? of the series. It and... almost it, it literally looks like when I watched the trailer, like it kind of reminds me of something you'd see on like SNL. Like it looks wow. like an SNL skit, pretty pretty much. But maybe it'll be good. I don't know. We shall see. Anyways, question one: <laughs> yeah. Dana White's Contender Series just wrapped up season six. Dom, we have of course been talking about the contender series since we started this show. So three seasons now we've been, well, at least for two, I think Dominic kind of carried the load that, that season four. And I was, I've just slapped every time. And we were on like the tail end of it when we started, you know? Yeah. So, so for the last two seasons, especially we've really been hammering, watching it. I've went back since and kind of watched everything from the beginning on. Um, But with that, Dominic, it has obviously become a pretty integral part of the UFC's catalog that they offer. They they definitely make that a big part of ESPN Plus and really hype it up each week. We're starting to see more and more contracts being given, and that's what this question is centered on. Has the rise in Dana White Contender Series contracts hurt the quality of the show? Mm -hmm. And now I do have some statistics. Yes, yes, you do. He brought just receipts. Kinda, just, you know, this is not meant to skew one way or the other. It's just to simply present facts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So of the winners of each season, this is the percentage of winners that received a, co- a contract on the Contender Series. Right. So what this, this includes outright contracts and developmental deals. Okay. Does not include the one uh, loser who's been given a contract. It also does not include anybody who came into the UFC later, okay. whether they won or lost. But is, if you were not given a contract, it doesn't matter. These so are like, contracts of the night of. So like Bill Algio, I don't think, got a contract. He's not included in this percentage. Okay. Got it? Yeah. Season one, 40%. Season two, 58%. Season three, 64%. Season four, 77 percent and then season five 87 and then eight season six 86 percent so you can see the there was a graph it'd be you know going yeah. up that way right yeah so i'm just curious dom do you feel like that's hurt the quality of the show that the contracts aren't quite as selective as they were in season one yeah it really is interesting when when you put these you know percentages down on the form it really puts it into perspective like how much the show has, I don't want to say changed, but it has changed. I mean, it, it seems like Dana has just gotten a little bit 
less strict on giving out those contracts, but I don't necessarily think it has hindered the quality of the show. And I'm saying that very passively because I'm on the fence, but I'm going to lean that way. I don't think it has like every, for the most part, especially like this season being the one fresh in mind, it was this, the record for most contracts, 43, I believe out of the or 43 got contracts the most ever. And I, it did feel like if I went back and watched all of them again, I probably wouldn't necessarily disagree with any of them. Last year, it did feel like there were some outliers. It felt like there were definitely some winners last year that probably didn't need one, should have got a second fight before an outright contract, so on and so forth. But all in all, if I really had to pick yes or no, I'm going to say no. I still feel like it's a very high-quality show. I still feel like we're getting really, really good talent. So I'm very curious to hear what you say, because we've had a lot of discussions in terms mm-hmm. of like what these people turn into in the UFC. I think that's even been on a verbal sparring, but this is before that. This is a whole different discussion. So right. let it go. Yeah. And I, and I, I've kind of went back and forth. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've at times been pretty critical of the amount of contracts given. And then this season, I even admitted, I don't know if there's more than two or three contracts I would have not given if right. I were in Dana's shoes. Like, it's this season, especially like it was pretty, I mean, it, I, I don't know, I guess high quality is the word, right? The, like the it, fights themselves were, yes. So yes. I guess if you're looking at this from the way I worded it, quality of the show, I think the quality of the show's only gotten better. Hmm. But the question is like, has the rise in the contracts hurt the quality? Really? Almost like talking kind of like the credibility maybe yeah you know? so that's that might be a better way to word it because really the quality of the show comes down to the fights like right right to me yes i'm watching because in a way it's like a scouting like you're learning about these mm-hmm. guys as they're yeah. hopefully making their way into the ufc so yeah. it kind of gives you an understanding of who they are how talented they are where they're good at once they make their debut later that if someone just got signed and we came and watched them, we probably wouldn't have seen their last fight for Cage Fury or Cage Warriors or whoever, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's it's only improved because the fights have only gotten better, I would think I would say. Like this season, I yes. thought it was like really good. Like, yes. again, that speaks to like, I don't know if I could have retracted more than like two contracts that Dana mm-hmm. gave. But in terms of the credibility... That's interesting because, yes, that is over double from season one. Yeah, so that's crazy. You, you know that kind of hurts this uh, image of the 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 uh, most dangerous job interview, or right? Whatever. And, right. You know when it's almost becoming closer to a guarantee that as long as you win, you get in. Almost like we're yeah. getting. I mean, when you're eighty-seven, eighty-six percent, you're you're nearing like. You win, you get in, rather than you have to really, yes, you know, pull off something special. Like I remember the episode when Sean O'Malley got in. There were other guys on that card, including he is a one champion now. Um, can't remember his name off the top of my head. Ty Ty to Ty Don Lee. Don Lee, yes, yes. So yes. Don Lee, I believe, was on that same card. Had a really good knockout as well. But since Sean O'Malley blew Dana away, it was almost like they weren't graded on like a, like a, it was, what's those scales called? Like sometimes you get graded 
by just a standard, right? Like you get yeah. if you're doing a test, right? We've done plenty of those. We you've done right. your your damn MBA. You've done plenty <laughs> right. of tests. Yeah. You know, if you get ninety percent of the questions right, you get a ninety percent A, right? Right. And sometimes they would do a scale of it's based off of kind of where the average lies. So if the average test is like an eighty five percent, that's actually kind of a C. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So I yeah. felt like in season one, Dana graded more on that. Like Sean O'Malley blew him away so much. He was the only guy that got a contract in episode. While there were other people who also probably did more impressive things than other winners on that season did. But that was more graded on how these gr- crop looked, how this group of winners looked, who really stood out. So yeah, that, that, that um, that's a much different one contract episode than the Joe Pfeiffer episode yeah, for this exactly, season. Example. Exactly. Yeah. Like that, that, that this season that makes up most of the contracts not given by the way. For this yes. Season. Yes. That was five fights four didn't get it. Joe Pfeiffer, yeah. the only one. So it's, it's kind of a give and take because Yes, the credibility of feeling like, you know, these guys have to really go in there and, like, earn it and and do something special might be gone a little bit. But on the other end, UFC have raised the importance of this show. I mean, when it started, it was sort of a accessory. Yes. And now it feels like it's almost like the second biggest MMA yeah. show in the world. It really does. And because of that... I don't know if it's, if anything, I feel like the show's only gotten bigger in people's eyes, gotten better in people's eyes, become more relevant to people, especially when you have guys like Bo Nickel Mm -hmm. coming on there twice and stuff. And Dominic, I think it's only going to keep going that direction because I think the UFC realized in COVID, and I'm going to, some of the points I'm about to say are very similar to, there was a video that just came out, Tommy Toehold did it for MMA on Point, Uh kind of talking about the contender series and the evolution of the show and if it's good or not and all this stuff. So go watch that video. But really a lot of these points, like I agree with it's when COVID hit the UFC really, when, when they were down for those few weeks, they realized how important it was for them to like not have to depend on other people or other bodies or other places. So they started doing a lot of stuff in house. The Apex was already built. You know, now they're talking about building a fighter hotel. Yeah. You know, a lot of their productions done themselves. Yes. And I think through the contender series, they realized, well, we could just hold contender series is really just a region, a highly produced regional show. It's like a regional MMA all-star game, basically. Yeah. In a way. And then, and because of that, the UFC, I think, have raised the importance of the show to the point where I believe the statistic Tommy used in that video was something like over 70% of the signings the UFC made as a whole in this calendar year have been through the Contender Series. Wow. So you're seeing more and more that the UFC is really only bringing in people through this show rather than doing the alternative of bringing people in you know, without it. Now, there is a question, though, of is more better? Like, is all these contracts really leading to quality? Because, yes, you're getting some great fighters. Sean O'Malley, one I just mentioned, Macy Barber. Um, I mean, Bo Nickel, of course, is going to be a stud. Joe Pfeiffer seems really good. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty. I mean, plenty that have been through the show. Even guys that didn't get contracts, like I just mentioned. So, 
I do think that when you compare it to the Ultimate Fighter, it does become interesting because, like, it only took the Ultimate Fighter a couple years to get a champion from the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt Sarah, but then if you even take that one out because he was guaranteed a title fight, Forrest Griffin, I think it took him, like, yeah, four or five years. years. Mm-hmm. And here we are six years since the show, and only one guy from the show has fought for a title, and that was a yeah. late replacement. Yeah. So, yes, you do have people that look like they're nearing that. Sean O'Malley could be one fight away if he beats Peter Yan, but there is something. I, a lot of my answer here is basically saying it's a mixed bag. Like, it's, it mm-hmm. seems like for the things that you can knock the show down for, they've also been improved in other ways. Yeah. And I, I want to say this too. You kind of, I thought about this earlier, forgot about it. You kind of brought it back into my head. I'll try and word it as good as I can. So again, when you have that season one, 40%, season six, just now 86%, right? It's increased every year in terms of the percentage of winners that have gotten contracts. But don't you feel like the most successful, prominent names from the show that are in the UFC are from those earlier seasons? So does it almost point toward the fact that even though Dana was more selective, maybe he was pulling the better talent then but now since he's handing out more contracts but they're not all quite performing as well let's just say again from earlier seasons sean o'malley he's a star right now he's ranked top 15 dan Ige top 10 uh macy barber borderline top 10 you have alex perez that has fought for a title he's top 10 those are just four of the names that come to mind yes still no champions and whatnot but in terms of their longevity their consistency their remaining in the rankings in the top 10 but over the past couple seasons, while there have been more contracts, maybe the quality of the fighters just haven't been the same. Maybe they're not lasting as long. I thought that was interesting. Would love to get your thoughts there. The only thing I would disagree on that with, you may have a point, but I think you have to be careful with hitting that point too hard because the argument would be, well, those people have had longer to make an impact in the UFC. Fair. Someone fair. who was signed in season one, like Sean O'Malley, has been in the UFC for six years. Right, right. Not six, I guess. Five, well, six seasons, five years, I guess. That's crazy to even think he's While been Joe Pfeiffer could end up being a big deal, but he's only been under contract for a couple months. Or even right. someone from last season. Who's someone from last season that's kind of done something? Like, I don't know. It's hard to see. It's I hard mean, to remember what season. It's really hard but to there remember. is. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, I was going to say, uh, your guy, um, he's got the really, I'm so bad with names, Dom. It's so pathetic. <laughs> Jack Della Maddalena. That's who I was going to yes, say. Yes. That was last year. Yeah. He might end up being a big deal, but he's only been under contract for about a year now. So Very true. Very it's really true. hard. I mean, even a guy like Kamar Usman, who came through the Ultimate Fighter, it took him an undefeated streak in four years before he reached the title shot. Yeah. So, yeah. It takes time, but right. it's worth noting that there still haven't been any champions, and we're past we're five years in, I guess. When the Ultimate Fighter, it only took them like four, and I know it's a different time. It's two thousand five. There's less fighters around. There's less divisions. It's it's a different world. But I think it, until until Contender Series can truly have that guy or girl that they can say, like, this is our champion. Until they hit that level, they're always going to just be, like, looked at as an accessory to some people. Mm -hmm. People like us really value the show. 
I mean, it really is like probably the, it feels like the second biggest MMA show out there. Yes, yeah. of course, owned and operated by the UFC, whatever. But until they hit that level where they started producing a champion title challengers, which we feel like we're reaching close. I mean, Alex Perez has already done it, but until then, I think a lot of people are going to continue to kind of focus on those negatives, even though they are improving the show in other ways as well. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Question number two. The Battle of Madison Square Garden is what I'm going to call this one. Man. Dominic, two of the most revered pay-per-views the UFC have ever done were their first two shows at Madison Square Garden, starting with UFC 205 back in 2016, and then a year later with UFC 217 in 2017. Mm -hmm. So... We can go down the the cards here, but really the question is, which event is better? Yeah, it's a it's a constant debate. Two hundred five or two seventeen? You know, you got the history of two hundred five, but then there's also history with two seventeen. You got three titles change hands, the first ever two division world champion, or I guess uh, simultaneous yes. two division weight uh, champ holder. So we're basically, at a nutshell. In a nutshell, word vomiting right now. Your question is, which event is better? Just off the top, I we've had this discussion, you know, in the uh, the Twitter group fa- uh, group fat. We're all tongue twisted today. The UFC group chat, and um, they th- listen when the UFC goes to New York City, they stack these cards, they load these cards. We've got another one coming up in a month. Where it's crazy, we're in October now. We're a month away from the Madison yeah. Square Garden card. No, I have to do 217. I have to take UFC 217 as a whole, and we're talking just pay-per-views off the top, right? Or do we yeah, want to dig? I think, okay. No, I think pay, just doing the main card okay. pay-per-view. That's what you're paying your money for. Okay, fair. But, I mean, if you have points that about some of the prelims, you can use those. But. Okay, yeah. I was just, uh, again, pay-per-view, main card, just the all-around top to bottom of the show. I have to do UFC 217. I mean, you have Paulo Costa finishing Johnny Hendricks. That's the kind of the start of his rise when he took out a, a big name. You have Wonderboy Thompson versus Jorge. Not a crazy fight. It's a little bit forgettable, but that's before Jorge went on his rise. That's when Wonderboy mm-hmm. was still in title contention. Then you have three title fights, Noah. Three new champions all of them via finish i mean it truly is unprecedented stuff man so as special as 205 was i mean i got a picture of it on my wall connor with the two belts i have to take ufc 217 even if it is the detriment of our own cody r brand i have to take it yeah true true so i'm gonna be with 205 here yeah and a lot of that is the history of it. It was of the first of its kind. It was the, I mean, it was the first show that the UFC had done in New York since like UFC nine. Yeah, it Buffalo. had been illegal for years. Yeah. yeah, and it was like one of the last states, if not the last state, to really legalize MMA. It had been such a long, drawn out battle to even get it legalized there. So they get it done. They go big with the first card. Yep. You got it opens up. A little iffy, Raquel Pennington, Misha Tate. That was originally Misha Tate's retirement fight. <laughs> yep. Not a great fight. But after that, Yoel Romero, Chris Weidman. Oh. 
nasty. <laughs> Joanna M. Jacek, Carolina Kovalkiewicz, very underrated Super. women's strawweight title fight. Even though Joanna was never really in danger, yeah. it was a great fight. I think a lot of people overlooked that due to just yes. everything else that happened and whatnot. And maybe because of what's happened with that division since then. Yeah. Co-main, Tyron Woodley, Stephen Thompson go to a draw. Mm. Just um, one of the most fun fights I've ever gotten to watch live. Yes. And being that I was siding with Wonderboy in that fight, and when he got absolutely pummeled, and I think it was round three, and nearly got finished twice, he still comes back and wins one of the next rounds. I mean, that fight had all the drama. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then finally... History. I mean, Conor McGregor at his apex, at yes. his yes. biggest, most popular. Everybody was a Conor McGregor fan at this time. Yeah, yeah. And maybe part of my answer is the lead up to it. Yes, because the press conferences, the you know, who the fuck is that guy? The promo video. Him and the Gucci Mink taking yeah. the taking the second bell. Eddie yeah. Alvarez getting pissed off like that. That alone, I almost feel like, puts it above 217. Because even though Bisping and, and GSP, they did their yeah. thing. They definitely, you know, Bisping especially really tried to talk that talk. But it just couldn't compare. And maybe, you know, no, I'm not going to make that point. I was going to say that, like, maybe the title, the main event felt more warranted than the title fight with Bisping and GSP, but it really didn't because Conor <laughs> fought it lightweight. Yeah. So yeah. really they're both kind of shams, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but seeing Conor win the two belts and be the first, I mean, it was history. And the performance was impeccable. Yeah. It was, I mean, I'll never forget watching that card in your basement. Yeah. Yes. And maybe if I had watched 217 under a different circumstance, I watched 217 on my phone at a party. <laughs> Like, if I had yeah. had more of the experience I have with 205, maybe I'd feel differently. I mean, three new title holders on that night. You know, the I think Rose went over Yolanda stands. I think wow. that's the biggest of the three. And yeah. It was yeah. the first one. So, they're both iconic. Both probably top three or five pay-per-views all time. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to slightly lean with UFC 205. Let us know what you all think. We've had this discussion with some of our buddies, and they've given their thoughts. Let us know what you guys think in the comments. Question number three. This was a little bit of a news story. kind of gained some traction. I didn't really see why. I do. Obviously, we didn't talk about it on our show. But it's about Joe Rogan and Dana White, the bald besties. Now, <laughs> Dude, we need merch right now of that. So... Joe Rogan's obviously made a lot of headlines over the last few years, but with this one, I think it started with Dana White doing that uh, podcast where he talked about um, th that whole doctor who told him oh. he only had like ten years to live. Yeah, I saw that. Changed all his diet up and stuff. It was around that time when that when that clip was going around. This is when I heard about this about Joe Rogan. So I don't know if that's one led to the other, but that was the time period. It's been a couple weeks. So Joe Rogan came out and said that if Dana White were to leave the UFC or when he leaves the UFC, he's gone too. Said I'm, I'm if Dana leaves, I'm I'm done. Yeah. So my question is, Dom, do you really believe that Joe Rogan will leave the UFC when Dana White does? I I do. 
I think I do believe it. I just think that they are, they feel so tied together, but at the same, like, it's not like you see them on the broadcast together or hanging out and doing all this stuff. But in terms of just a history with two people in the company right now, that is at this point, the furthest back that Dana goes with someone because the Petita brothers are no longer associated with the company right now in terms of like hand to hand business. Not that Joe's in the back room signing contracts with all the boys, but that is the relationship that is, you know, withstood time, you know, from 20 years ago to now that's, they're still here. They're still ever present in the UFC. And I do feel like should Dana leave. And he hinted at this at the presser last week, the last contender series, he said, you know, I'm not leaving for anytime soon. I'm, I love this. I'm not going to leave it until I don't love it anymore. Right. Basically. But he did admit, you know, the UFC is always going to be the UFC. We're the worldwide leader in MMA. We're going to keep evolving this sport, but it is going to be different. It's going to be different when I'm gone. And I think that that ties in with Joe because I feel like in terms of the leadership, and we we kind of talked about this on our verbal sparring from two weeks ago as well, um, but just like Joe <laughs> probably loves that style of leader that Dana is, the type of personality that Dana is, and I just don't know if Joe would want to take the risk of putting up with anything different come the time that Dana White leaves. I think that's like the biggest thing. And it's just like, what more does Joe Rogan have to do? He really doesn't even have to be commentating right now. That's been a topic of discussion the last year or so. But I do believe it. I think when Dana's gone, Joe will basically just feel like, all right, it's probably my time to pass the torch. How crazy would that be if both of them walked away at the same time? What a, what a monumental just change. Well, I mean, Noah, and I might have said this two weeks ago, but I'm saying it again now for those that didn't hear it. There's going to be a day when Dana White, Joe Rogan, and Bruce Buffer, all three, mm -hmm. are not on a UFC broadcast that we're watching. We're not going to have <clears throat> Joe Rogan commentating. Bruce Buffer's not going to be announcing. And Dana White's not going to be in the ring putting the belt on a champion, or doing questions after the fights. That is a sad, sad thing to think about, but the sport moves on. It's sad, but it does feel like we'll just move on because, yeah. I mean, I remember when Mike Goldberg left, I thought I thought I was never going to get over that. Yeah. yeah. And then John Anik filled in quite nicely. <laughs> He's and, incredible. He is, yeah. And has really just improved, if anything, on yeah. what Mike Goldberg had started. And... <clears throat> And now I there's guess, so many fighters that do it when yeah. Joe's not there, right. you know. So, I do believe Joe when he says this, but I do wonder if he's really going to have a choice in the matter. Mm. I would hate to, I would hate for this to be the case, but when Dana leaves. You know, Joe Rogan is, uh, whether he likes it or not, at this point, he is a controversial figure. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't feel like every day he's saying controversial stuff, but I feel like he's got a tar He's kind of got this target on him now due to some of the, you know, vaccine comments mm -hmm. and stuff he said about COVID before and maybe some other things. You know, I'm sure you can find some clips out there. <laughs> yeah. But whether he likes it or not, he's always going to be looked at as a controversial figure. There's going to be people who love him, people who hate him, everything in between. And I just wonder if when Dana's not there, 
let's say even if it's Hunter Campbell who maybe does take after a little bit of Dana's, you know, has been obviously the guy in waiting, it seems like is starting to kind of do a lot of the responsibilities anyways. But if he's the figurehead, let's say, when he takes over and Dana's gone, you know, who's to say that ESPN, if they're still under ESPN, who's to say that they come in and say, look, we don't want Joe Rogan on commentary anymore. Right, right. They could do that. Oh, they yeah. They totally do that. I mean, yeah. ESPN's yeah. done a lot. They've done worse for less. Yeah, yeah. In some ways. I mean, uh, you saw, I don't know if you saw that. Um, did you see the, the, the drama going on in uh, the ESPN world of coverage of basketball where that uh, Malika Andrews was getting a lot of crap recently? Mm. I think that's her name. She, I forget what show she hosts. I don't know if it's NBA Today or something or on ESPN. But she is the one who Rachel Nichols, if you remember her, when she got fired from okay. ESPN, yeah. she was the one who Rachel Nichols said kind of was hinting at might have got her job due to the color of her skin kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. So now recently what I've seen is all these people that kind of were calling for Rachel Nichols to get her job taken due to Malika Andrews' comments on this whole Ime Udoka situation you know, the head coach of the Boston Celtics who got in all this trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, now a lot of people are like kind of going back on it and like trashing wow. Malika Andrews and saying Rachel ESPN should have never fired Rachel Nichols and stuff. So wow. you see how the, the public opinion has switched so vehemently. Yeah. And ESPN made quite a drastic decision. Even if look, you can say it was warranted or not warranted, but I mean, they made that call, and now all of a sudden people are kind of going the opposite way on it uh-huh. and almost like making fun of ESPN for doing it and shitting on them for doing it when it was the same people who wanted them to do it in the first right. place. So right. uh, who's to say that something similar couldn't happen with Joe Rogan? I, mm-hmm. I, I just, That situation stuck out to me because it was pretty recent. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, Joe Rogan said some pretty, some pretty bad stuff if, you know, whether it was joking or not, it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, especially if it, MMA continues to get bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mainstream. Yeah, it's it's definitely possible. But I, I do agree with him though that I think when Dana's gone, I think likely Rogan's right behind him, and probably won't be for a while. But if I could actually see the reverse happy where i could see rogan being ready to go first yeah yeah i could see and i, I, I would see joe leaving him. before dana so yeah. in a way i don't like i believe him but i also believe that he's probably going to be gone before dana is yeah yeah and i, you, I just feel like part of that's got to be too from the ufc's standpoint they just have so many commentators now that are so good and a lot of them are fighters so we're already experiencing it a little bit. What? Well, really, more so than not at this point, because Joe only mm-hmm. does domestic pay per views. So we get to hear so many other, you know, figureheads and voices. It doesn't feel as hard to replace him come that time. It is. We just, will. We will miss Joe Rogan, but yeah. there will not be a void left by Joe right. Rogan. I think right. they have done very well at filling the gaps in case he wants to leave. If anything, it's almost harder to fill that void with Mike, just because there was no filler time basically yeah. it was usually like a lot of it was mike john had just kind of started doing events here and there and then boom mike was gone but here we don't see joe all that often now mm. it's more fighters so question number four this is about the, the men's ufc flyweight division 
A division that's been through a lot, Dom. It's it been has. through a lot. Started around 2012, 2013. Demetrius Johnson, your inaugural champion, held the title for a long-ass time. Holds the record for most consecutive title defenses. Mm-hmm. Never was quite able to become a draw. He right. just never could really click with the fans like that. So you had a lot of years where the flyweight title was sort of relegated to a lot of fight nights or a couple times at main event of shows, but it would be very lackluster buy rates and usually more in like a co-main spot, whatever. Then Demetrius loses a very close decision to Henry Cejudo. Mm-hmm. Mighty Mouse traded to 1FC for Ben Askren. We Rips. talked about that in the last verbal sparring. Yes. So then you get the Henry Cejudo stuff, where then the ESPN deal kicks in. There's rumors that the flyweight division's going to be scrapped, gotten rid of. Henry Cejudo knocks out TJ Dillashaw and saves the flyweights. Yep, yep. And then he goes to bantamweight. And because and that's all led to this little era we're in, where Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno are now confirmed. They are scheduled for their fourth fight in January. So we have seen a trilogy already. But it was so good that people said we need a fourth. A saga. A saga. So my question is, Dom, is Figgy and Moreno, series of fights, the best thing to ever happen to this flyweight division? Wow. That's such a, that's a big question. Like dropping it on the table. That's a tough, I mean, everything I just said, you could make an argument for each portion of that, in my opinion. If you wanted Demetrius Demetrius's dominance, you can make an argument for. I mean, he yeah. really elevated that right. division. He's, he or built got it off the ground, right? He yeah. was a long-standing champion. He's looked as one of the best fighters ever. Yeah, but I think Henry Cejudo's era could get a lot of credit because he kind of saved the division in a lot of ways. Yeah, with his performance against TJ and the way. The King of Cringe and stuff. I mean, it kind of worked in a weird way. Like, yeah. it worked at annoying people. And yeah. then now you have these fights with Davison and Figgy that feel like we're just in a great time for this division. I, yeah. I, I, it's it's tough. But I, I do think you can make an argument for any of, the, any of that. I think I'm going to go no. I think I am going to go <laughs> with Henry Cejudo's victory and defense of that title against Mm. tj dillashaw and i say that because he yes he got rid of the belt after he defended against tj right but then that opened the door for probably the most competitive portion of flyweights we've ever seen that's when davison was really surging Mm -hmm. he looked unbeatable he had the scary looking wins over davison figueredo he dismantled alex perez and then out of nowhere, Brandon Moreno surges back up, cut from the company, but comes in for a title fight. They have an incredible first fight. So I feel like that whole gap there, that 20, I guess it was like, what, 2019 to 2020, that's that period. And it was spearheaded by Henry Cejudo's victory over Demetrius and defense of T- over TJ. So I'm going to go with that, but it, I'll just say it right here. Figueredo and Moreno fourth fight coming in january like noah said these two were put on this earth for a lot of things Mm -hmm. but to fight one another and it is quite amazing so if anybody says yes to this question i wouldn't hate on it for a second 
it's kind of interesting. You kind of you're using like a cause and effect. Like yeah, you're using you're picking the Cejudo era if you want to call it that, because it sort of caused what we got now. Right, right. The the snowball effect, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I am gonna go with this series of fights, and I think that's because. And maybe this is a bit of wishful thinking. Maybe I'm lying to myself when I say this. But Dominic, I think we're close to seeing legitimate main events with flyweights. And I, I hope this saga of fights <laughs> have set that trend. Yeah. First fight was a main event. One month notice for both guys. They had fought on the previous month's main event. Also headlining flyweight title, Davison, that is, against yeah. Perez. What a period that was in itself. Then the rematch, Comain under Izzy Vittori, mm-hmm. pretty one-sided beatdown for Moreno. Yeah. Third fight, Comain under Nganu Gone was the best fight of the entire card. Yes. So much so, they wanted a fourth fight. Don't know if this will be the main event of uh, UFC Rio, but I wouldn't be upset if it was because I bit. think the UFC. We can. I, I agree to an extent that Cejudo saved that division. I mean, I do think that that night him winning kind of. I think the UFC, if TJ Dillashaw won that fight, I think it was they done. were scrapping it. Yeah. But I also think there's a chance it could have still been scrapped if this era that le- it led into. Mm. When Henry left the division, what was stopping them from scrapping right. it then? Because it's like, well, this guy kind of made a name for himself. And now he's leaving the division. So now we have a bunch of guys who are no names. Right. And that's when Davison really rose to the occasion. Yep. And Moreno came from being cut to being just one of the most likable guys in the whole company. I mean, when they do autograph signings, Brandon Moreno is like the most popular guy out of every fighter on the roster. So I'm going to go with the effect, even though I recognize the calls played a big part right. in what right. led to it. But I think that these two series of fights and really just what all the flyweights really elevating themselves to another level has ultimately kept this division for hopefully long term. I was about to say, this is a supporting, you know, kind of remark I'm about to make for Noah's point here saying yes to this question. It is that these two are so good right now and really carrying this division that it's almost holding the rest of these flyweights to a higher standard. I mean, this division is in the best state over the past year and into now that it's been ever in terms of competitively. There's very, very many high-level guys and more that are coming into the company. You know, Manel Cott, for example, came into the company. He's finally starting to put things together. There's just big things happening, moving, and we're just churning out contenders, even though we're having a fourth fight between these two. There's contenders in waiting, and I think it's because of these two right here. And I think it helps that even though both guys, especially Moreno maybe, feel like they could have like a really long title reign, but also every fight that I could see those two having after this saga is over, you know, I don't think they're like a heavy, heavy favorite in a lot of these matchups. Like if they fought mm-hmm. Askarov or Roy Bow or Car France, there's a lot of... When you have a guy like Izzy, right, who I know Izzy does a lot more pay-per-views and whatnot, but he just seems to be so much better than everyone mm-hmm. in his weight class. Yeah, yeah. That there's some, there's a little bit of boredom almost, or mm-hmm. like it gets a little dull, you know, when there's no wonder if someone can even beat him almost. 
with Davidson and Moreno, every title fight you feel like they have to go in there and earn it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that helps a little bit with the intrigue. And the narrative for this weight class was always that they're smaller guys, they can't finish, they can't have fun fights, they're just moving around fast, right? You got to watch mm-hmm. them move. But, like, look when these fights are elevated. These guys have been main events and co-main events. They've lived up every time. Whether it was the finish by Brandon or the two ones that went the distance, they are great fights. But then look at the rest. Kaikar France, co-main event in Columbus with Askar Askarov, <clears throat> incredible fight. Kaikar France versus Brandon Moreno just a few months ago, great fight. Um, Roy Val, every fight that he's in is going to be great. He's about to fight Askar next week. When these guys fight now, especially when they're in these elevated, whether it's a – or let me not forget – Matt Schnell versus Sue Matareji. Yeah. Look at those two guys yeah. that really no one knew. Everybody knows them now in their flyweights, and it's because they're putting on fun fights. So, yes, all these guys are deserving of the higher placement on cards, including main events, to Noah's point that kind of started this. Question five. Bellator's had a very interesting history, haven't they, Dom? Yes. You know, they've 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 been through a lot as a promotion. They've had different ownership groups, different people as the as the guy on the front lines you know scott coker's been there a while now but hasn't always been the case for for the last couple years they've been a part of showtime you know Mm -hmm. showtime's got a pretty big footprint in combat sports with uh showtime boxing and now with bellator but my question is has being part of showtime actually helped or hurt Bellator's growth. Yeah. And this is a tough question because, you know, obviously I think stock is a little low on Bellator right now. You know, we're, we're, we're always getting on them about the lack of promotion yeah. and, yeah. you know, just, I feel like they could do more cards a year. I feel like there's uh-huh. just a lot to be left desired with Bellator right now. While the PFL seem to be making like real big moves, one FC making big moves. Bellator just seems stuck in the mud. Yeah. I am going to argue because actually Bellator came from DAZN. So Bellator was on DAZN. They come the show. A couple years ago. That is an improvement. I mean, yeah. DAZN is great in other countries. Like if you buy DAZN and you're in, I don't know which countries, like if you're in Europe or Canada or something, they offer like a lot of live sports, but in America, mm-hmm. it's basically just a boxing catalog. And then you have to buy yeah. the boxing pay-per-views that they have on there. I think as far as a domestic product, I think Bellator was improved by going to Showtime, but I still think that it, I don't think it was, I'm not sure if it was the right move Yeah, because I do think they needed to get out of the zone, but with Showtime, Really, if you're seeing their fights being promoted, it's probably on boxing cards, which means you're promoting it to the audience that would already probably watch it in the first place. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of boxing fans that aren't MMA fans and MMA fans that aren't boxing yeah. fans, but typically combat sports fans, like it's kind of the same crop. Right. While, look at what one on Amazon Prime has produced. Yeah. Thursday Night Football. Yep. I'm seeing ads for the one event. Yep. PFL, ESPN Plus, do I even need to tell you what you might see promoted on ESPN? PFL, UFC promoted on ESPN, it's all on there. Yeah. 
what does Showtime really have exactly that, that has people watching? It's a it's a similar service to like HBO, mm-hmm. and, but it doesn't quite have the the value of an HBO. Yeah, and who's turning on Showtime? Showtime outside of their boxing and and Bellator. I mean, what do they really have to offer that would bring in? people who aren't already MMA fans that they could promote it to and then be like, oh, I'm going to watch that card now. Yeah, I mean, literally every point I was going to get into, you just dug into in some extent or another. And I, I, I agree. I think it was better than zone, but it overall didn't really help Bellator. Therefore, I think it has hurt Bellator. Bellator, I think, hurts themselves a little with the promotional side of things. We talked about it this week a little bit. But them being exclusively on Showtime, it's not pulling any extra eyes. People aren't going out of their way to purchase Showtime subscriptions just to watch Bellator. Whereas if they were on an Amazon Prime, okay, first off, Amazon's just the biggest company in the world, obviously. But Amazon Prime, people have it. A lot of people have Amazon Prime Video and don't even know it because they have Prime Video for shipping. My mom was that way. Um, So we kind of just learned it, but Again, like, listen, Noah, when NFL started two weeks ago, they pulled the single most prime subscriptions in the history of the company. I believe over 3 million people signed up for Amazon Prime just to to watch Thursday Night Football this year. But now, what can they see as a result? They get to watch all those shows, all the movies that they have, all in one championship is now on Amazon Prime, and they're hosting events multiple times throughout the rest of the year, into next year, prime time on U.S. you know television time, Eastern time, whatever the case. And then you look at ESPN. Yeah, people do probably purchase ESPN just for like the UFC hardcore fans and whatnot, but the vast overwhelming majority have ESPN Plus to watch sports, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, soccer, I'm sure has a large portion of people all these other sports, and then you just so happen to be able to watch UFC fight nights. And it's more so to the point of the PFL, it's perfect that they're mm-hmm. able to coincide with the UFC and both live on ESPN because they're getting a platform by being a part of the worldwide leader in sports. So those three are just living with millions and millions of people all around the world getting be able to easily find their products and watch them. Bellator on Showtime, not the same. It's just and with, I mean, it's not just ESPN Plus. I mean, a lot of these fights are at least the prelims would be held on ESPN the network. Yes, ABC, yes. ESPN two, whatever it yeah. may be. Right. PFL benefits from that too. They are on ESPN yes. two sometimes. ESPN Showtime just doesn't have that grab. It doesn't have that that reach. Yeah. Know? And like so, Bellator will play their prelims on YouTube, but like. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a decent move. I think the YouTube part could... I mean, one was doing that for a while. I don't. They were having main cards on there, some of them. Yeah, so... Basically, I think a lot of it is to blame on Bellator, but I don't think it's helped that they're already not very good at this whole, like, marketing and promoting yeah. thing. Yeah. Being on a service that... Yes, I mean, a lot of people have Showtime, but it's it's much less accessible than an espn plus or amazon prime and in general it's probably just not as many sports fans so it's even less interest to watch a fight you know 
Right. And I and I guess um, it was interesting. Did you see the birthday post for Scott Coker? People were making fun of it. I saw the Chris Cyborg video. No. So okay, I Bellator, saw that. Bellator put out this little graphic of Scott Coker. It was like a happy birthday post. Mm-hmm. And people were like, I wish that Bellator would post, you know, yeah. promote their fights <laughs> and their fighters as much as they do Scott Coker. Cause right. And I saw it and I was like, man, it was only one post, but they're right. Like it's I wish so these guys got one post. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just, I don't know. I, Stock is low on Bellator. That's the part. And I've, I've heard rumors they might be up for sale. I don't know. So maybe we'll be seeing them move to, you know, put them up. Maybe they'll go to Peacock or something. Who knows? Yeah. I, I'm I don't willing know. to give it a try. Yeah. Question number six, last but not least. This is a heavy hitter here, Noah. Yeah. You get to only choose one, Dominic. Only one. Yeah. One fight. That you could see out of these three. The other two will never happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Okay. <laughs> Which do you choose? You got a little. little you got a little trigger. trigger yeah. <laughs> McGregor versus Diaz three. Yeah. John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. Uh-huh. Or Charles Oliveira versus Habib. All these, of course, McGregor Diaz is not a title fight, but. Jones, the the implication is that Jones and Ghani would be for a heavyweight title. Yeah. Lightweight title for Oliveira Habib. Um, the floor is yours, Dom. Oh, man, Noah. I, so the one I can easily get rid of is actually Jones versus Ngannou. That's the easiest one to get rid of. For really? Me. That's for me. the easy one. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Because um, I, I so badly want that trilogy to be finished but it's so many years removed from when it could have really capitalized on it but then you look at Oliveira and Habib and it's like well Habib's literally retired like he's probably never going to come out of retirement he seems very content with what he's right. doing and this life. is obviously saying that he would come out of <sighs> retirement and I think the implication okay. is that he would be coming out to avenge Islam yeah so Charles this is kind of assuming fight. Charles wins that fight yeah. yeah, if we're making those sort of assumptions, I think I have to do Oliveira and Habib Noah. I think I do. I think I do. Charles Oliveira is becoming a star day by day. Really. Like day brick by day. Brick by brick. Brick by brick, inch by inch. I've never seen a dude miss weight and gain more fans. But this 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 guy is built different. And that wasn't a jab at Charles. I think it was all a disaster that whole day and everything, how they did it, yada, yada, yada. But the way that he carries himself, the fights that he's in, the story behind him, Noah, we really haven't seen anything like it. Not much. And then Habib, unblemished record, undefeated, one of the best to ever do it, one of the best champions, you know, wiped out, you know, three very, very solid title defenses, retired right in his prime, a shame that he went too soon. But he comes back to avenge his protege, Islam Makachev. Come on, no. I'm not saying it's obviously not going to do 2.4 million like Connor and Habib did, but I strongly believe Oli Bear and Habib would, dare I say, easily surpass 1 million pay per view buys. I think that is the one I would choose out of these three. I don't think that's a long shot either because I'm pretty sure. 
it might not be the most successful now of the year, but Oliveira Gaethje did like really well. Yeah, almost 500k, I think, or something. Yeah, like, and it was like the highest at that point. Like, over, and him and Dustin Ganu, did well last year yeah, too. Ganu Gan didn't do that well. Izzy Whitaker too didn't do that well. Like, comparing, like they did last. Right. I mean, like I think, and even Mosvidal Covington didn't do as many as them. Mm-hmm. Like that, I mean, that says something, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, this. You think I'd have my answer ready? I put the question on here, but I basically talked myself into it there. So, if I could only see one of these forever, mm-hmm. the other two will never happen. Never happen. Yeah, I gotta stick to who I am. You know, don't get me wrong. I love the big fights. I love like the, I love the glitz and glamour of the fight game. I love when it gets a little wild sometimes. But who I am as a, deep down is I love the sport side of this sport. Like, I love when it sticks to being legacy and best versus the best. And because of that, I'm going John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. Interesting. Yeah, so mm. McGregor DS3, while, again, don't even, sign me up. I mean, yeah, yeah. massive. Yeah. But I think the the ship has sailed somewhat in my yeah. like it's not it's not at its peak value anymore. Not even close. Yeah. Like if we saw it now, it'd be great. It'd be a spectacle, obviously, especially after all Nate went through with the UFC. But yeah, at the end of the day, once the result happens, what do we really take away from that? You know, right, right. Like Nate was nearly thirty eight, thirty nine years old. Connor, not really the same guy for a while. Yeah. Oliveira Habib, you know how much I love Charles Oliveira. Yeah. And I love Habib, but, you know, I'd be like, Oliveira, ride or die. Yeah. And if he won that fight, I would probably have a heart attack. Like, <laughs> I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd yeah. probably die, like, if I'm being honest with you. I don't. I think that's peak of life right there. Like, what's there <laughs> yeah. left to live for? But at the same time, like, I kind of like that Habib has retired at the top and Yeah. Yeah. You know We don't see it often. If he came back and lost to Oliveira, again, what are the questions gonna be about that? You know, yeah. was it yeah. Was it that he was how hard was he training while retired? Was you know, all this stuff that people would say, it would still discredit Charles in a way. Mm-hmm. And for my answer, Jones and Ghana, there would still be that's kind of discrediting if, let's say, Ghana knocked out Jones. People would say, well, Jones took this much time off. He's in a new weight class, like, whatever. But to me, that's the biggest legacy fight of the three. Mm. Mm. Wait, do I want to stick with that answer? That's that's close. Because Oliveira Habib is definitely it's I mean, a legacy. I mean, if Oliveira Habib... Because listen, can I say it's the biggest? I don't know listen, if I can say that. We're because we're talking if Oliver and Habib were to happen, we've seen the wins that Oliver's on right now, the win streak he's on. What's he won? 10 in a row now. So if he beats Islam, that's 11. If he beats Habib, that's 12. Those are all in title fights. Then that res that stretch, you know, Chandler, Poirier, Gaethje, Islam, Habib, okay. dude, maybe a win, a win over Habib. Well. If Habib beats sticking, Charles, uh, it does less for legacy. 
Maybe. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, it still does. Comparative something. to Jones and Ganu. But yeah. yeah. I'm going to stick with Jones and Ganu because I think there's just as much on the line for both guys. It, both sides. Yes. Yeah. I think for John Jones to go to a new weight class that people said he avoided for years to take the time to build himself up. He looked a little lackluster in some of those last couple fights at lie heavyweight. Yep. Really prove you're the best to ever do it. Avenge everything that's gone on, all the turmoil outside the cage. Yes. It doesn't matter when you're in the octagon. Win that fucking fight and mm-hmm. etch your name in the history. Francis Ngannou has all the makings of MMA's Mike Tyson. One of the, He could become maybe one of the biggest names in the sport. He's got this killer knockout power, but he's even proven out of the wrestling to kind of yeah. keep him more well-rounded. If he were to knock out John Jones, the mm. best fighter of all time, mm. Mm. I mean... <laughs> and I know that part of you probably wishes I put Jones versus Gone on here because I know that that fight interests you more. Yeah, but I feel like Jones and Ganu feels like a. It feels not necessarily as big of a spectacle as McGregor, um, Diaz, or Oliveira Habib, but it feels very comparable in some ways. Like it, mm-hmm. it feels like a big spectacle, and Ganu has sort of reached that level. Yeah, John Jones just I, to me that is a legacy fight in every sense of the word for both guys, and and it would be it would be massive at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, you think that breaks a million? As a as a headliner, mm, probably not. Or would it matter with the card? Do you think under it? It would probably because I think the other two obviously. I think the other two probably hit a million. That one might hit like eight hundred, seven hundred thousand. Mm. Mm. I mean, God and Ganu did like three hundred. Yeah, true. And John's and never think, been the biggest. I, yeah, I mean Jones. Yeah. John Jones has done better than most, but he was still like in a five hundred. I mean, he's like in. A little less than Izzy, maybe? Like, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, guys, really, the fact of the matter is the legacy and title defenses don't really matter that much when it comes to pay-per-view buys. No, it doesn't. But, but that's not how I'm answering. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. But I, you're right. It doesn't really yeah. matter. But, yeah, the UFC wouldn't love my answer to this. They'd be like, come on, man. Like, pick, pick one of the other two. Those are going to hit a milli, you know? But Yeah. I mean, if, if Nganu wins that fight, were to win that fight, too, I mean – what a statement to the UFC. All the right. stuff going on, the contract situation. Yeah. Woo. I mean, that's... Imagine if that was the last fight on his contract. He knocks out the best in the sport to ever do it, and then he just walks away. Shimani Christmas. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, what L's the UFC would have taken by losing Nate Diaz and then him <laughs> back-to-back? People tell us, what fight are you taking? I got to yeah, know. I, I, I want to know. I want to know. But uh, that's going to wrap it up for these questions. But, Dominic, there's only one way we end the show around here. And that's with closing statements. The point of the show where we talk about anything and everything MMA related or not. So, Dominic, do you have any closing statements for today's episode? Damn it, Noah. Man, what a what a what a El Fuego episode! But I don't know if I have anything on the closing statements, man. I don't. I don't think I do. I really don't. We're heading into an off week of UFC, so I don't. Or of MMA in general, we had so many great discussions here. No new food debates in my head right now. I don't think I have anything. I don't have any random questions either. I'm blank. So your so your last one, the last thing you brought up was boneless or yeah, boneless versus bone in, right? Yes, that was yeah, yeah. I'd like to know what people's go to wing sauces. 
like there's, there's so a, many there's so many there's so, so many. there's not really a debate here but just want to know i want to know w- w- what sauce and where is like your go-to okay yeah. because as my even a roosters is my go-to wing spot b-dub's wing sauces are very good like they do have great sauces yes yes so like for me b-dub's medium is like the best sauce out there that's so you know nonchalant and traditional too it's nothing crazy nothing no dry rubs no fancy stuff medium buffalo but i'm also or maybe i should just actually scratch it scratch it here's the clip you're gonna post okay Okay. (laughs) what is the best wing sauce from b-dubs Oh, now you're going directly to B-dubs. Interesting. Because to me, medium is king. King. Not too hot, but a little kick behind it. Best tasting. I also think, Dom, my dark horse, Caribbean jerk. I thought that's what you were going to say. Yeah. Caribbean jerk is a staple for me now. And it gets does not get the respect it deserves among... The list I've seen. I have looked up list of ranking <laughs> Beatles wing sauces. And Caribbean jerk mm. never gets the love, man. I don't get it. Mm, okay. So if I had to pick from B-dubs, I, this is going to be probably way off from what everybody else thinks. I'm not here to argue, people. Don't get on me. I know what you're going to say. I'm just going to tell people what my favorite is. And I think, well, the problem is it's now a dry rub and a sauce. Oh, I've had both. God, I've had it. both. Yeah. And I really don't know which one's better, so I'm just going to say the flavor in general because I like both dry rubs and sauces. That's a whole other debate. I pick sauce, by the way, over dry rub in general. Flavor, lemon pepper, dude. Lemon pepper from uh, B-dubs is really good, and I really like it from other places as well that I've tried it. But, yeah, if I, if I went to B-dubs right now, I'd order half lemon pepper and then half, like, sp- like, spicy garlic or something yeah. like that so i'm always getting lemon pepper though at beat-ups yeah i think at this point i've tried almost every sauce for i remember that little journey you did yeah. yeah so like i've i haven't done like super hot stuff i did hot um i think i've done pretty much i did spicy garlic i did the what's the mild garlic one that they have uh parmesan garlic parm garlic yeah yeah all i've loved i mean i even tried mild obviously even though it's kind of the same as medium and hot i mean it's just did you try their um like the blazing no no well i actually i have had it um but it was not by choice (laughs) okay fair forced down my throat (laughs) yeah i'm sure that didn't end well but um yeah it didn't end very well at all but uh (laughs) i would just say to your response, true. And I'm being honest. I'm not. I'm not trying to shit on Dom here. Yeah. The only sauce to this point I have d- disliked mm. from B Dubs is lemon pepper. No, I see it. it it's very different. It's but not... what's weird is I went to a restaurant for lunch. Well, it's a restaurant you've probably been to before, Cheddar's. Oh, dude. Yeah, so I a, love Cheddar's. So they have a Cheddar's not too far from where I work, and one of our coworkers was leaving, so they had a little goodbye lunch. And I actually got, without realizing what I was really ordering, it was this lemon pepper... Chicken like, breast? 
Well, it was like a, in a salad. Okay, yeah. Because the yes. last time I was there, I got a lemon pepper chicken so roast. So that's what one of the other guys got, and I got it more in like a salad. It was yeah. like a lemon pepper, or no, it was lemon pepper pasta. That's what it was. Oh. And I remember loving it. Yeah. And then I realized like halfway through, I'm like, oh, I'm eating lemon pepper. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I hated this from B-dubs. Like I thought it was disgusting. Yeah. So I wonder if I gave it another chance, if I would like it. But the one time I've had it, ugh, like just your I least hated favorite. It. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not even it's shitting different. on you for it. This isn't adding to your seven right. deadly sins of food. I'm still at four. Good. You're still yeah. You're you're floating right three now. three to go. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just funny. I mean, have you had Caribbean jerk? Are you not a fan? I have. I think never like ordered it. Doesn't but your I've dad had a really wing like of it? it? Dad's big on the mango habanero. Oh, that's he very he well. mixes that with uh he mixes that with something else and he really loves it. Jaden, the lovely lady, loves mango habanero wings. Yeah, very good. Um Caribbean jerk, I don't I've I've tried it, but never like ordered a whole mm. thing of it. I'll tell you what, too, for those that like like uh Parmesan garlic, it's good, but I'm not trying to sit and eat wings that are Parmesan garlic. If anything, when I eat that. I want to put it in like an Alfredo pasta. That's, that's very You know true. what I mean? It, 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 does, really it, does feel, it does feel almost like not really a wing sauce. Like I'm like, why just... am I eating Italian chicken from B-Dose? Yeah, you're right. I think if I'm getting a garlic sauce, I'm definitely doing spicy garlic. Yes. Oh, that. I mean, the all-time go-to, no place specific, just sauce order, hot garlic gold combination. Together. What's weird is when I go to Roosters, I've never been able to shake just getting honey barbecue. Oh, dude. I don't know Put why. Put those three together. Like, I think it's just because it's so killer to me. I just go and get 10 boneless honey barbecue and then cheese and bacon wedges on the side. Oh, what a meal. Hungry, what a meal. <laughs> but like, for some reason, I've just, I, every time I go there, I like look at the wing sauces and I go, I just love that order so much. Why would I change it? But at beat-ups, I'm always rotating. Changing. Yeah. Asian that, zing dude, sometimes. Dude, I'm kind of, you know? I, well... I'm relatively loyal to the same thing. Like roosters, I'm always getting that. B-dubs, I'll I'll switch it a little. But like I said, I usually do get lemon pepper you know, at least. You know what? Actually, another sauce I actually don't like at B-dubs, but I love at like roosters is teriyaki. I think I've never been big in general on the flavor. Yeah. B-dubs teriyaki is not good to me. And roosters, I think like I've never ordered it my well, I haven't ordered it myself in a very long time. But my mom always gets it, and then I have her leftovers, obviously. So, mm-hmm. and I I think they kill it. But B Dubs, I was like, this is not that good. Remember that time we were at B Dubs and I tried their limited edition orange chicken sauce? Oh yeah, was they that still with have you? it. They still have. Do it. they really? Okay, because yeah. I'm like, well, I get this all the time at Panda yeah. at the was Student it good? Union. I don't remember. It was okay, but again. Why am I going to beat ups and getting orange chicken? <laughs> like yeah. I should be eating that on my bed of rice. Much I like had Panda garlic, Express but, last yeah. night, by the way. That was kind of oh, I had it a couple weeks ago, and I hadn't had it since college. Holy shit! It Bad just man. hits. It hits it different. Does. Well, anyways, I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic <laughs> Lee. We are but just two of the below average Joes, and we'll see you guys on Thursday. Stay saucy. <laughs>